0: The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio.
1: You are listening to The Profile with me, Ruth Jackson, in association with Christianity Magazine. And you can get yourself a free copy of Christianity Magazine by going to premierchristianity.com slash free sample. I am here with Reverend Peter Laws, who is an ordained minister, an author, and a kind of expert in the macabre. (laughs) (laughs) So what was your experience of God growing up?
0: Well, my experience of God was negative. I I suppose growing up, I just assumed that God was was a complete irrelevance to me. And so I wasn't brought up as a Christian. I never went to church at any point and neither did my family and so we never went you know like christmas or, or easter it just didn't even cross our minds and so to me it always felt like christianity was this kind of uh, i don't know if you've seen a film called the stepford wives or mm. a book uh, which you know is trying to shape women into being a certain type of person an android and i always felt like christianity was was out to do that to like remove my personality and make me a certain type of person particularly because i i grew up loving scary things horror movies that sort of thing and whenever i met a christian they were saying well that's bad you know that's, that's 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 something that would be terrible for you. You'd have to give that up. So yeah, so I I had a kind of pretty low opinion of Christianity growing up and quite a kind of anti-Christian approach. I remember I was in a band for a little while uh, when I was at school, teenager called Creatures of the Night. And then we had another band called Tantalum. And um, in that, you know, we were writing songs about like spitting on the Bible and doing all of these sort of classic, like God is an idiot, that sort of stuff, which is this sort of teenage rebellion stuff. But what was interesting, I think, is because my my rebellion seemed to feel like, like a metaphysical rebellion, like the things I was thinking about wasn't just, yeah, I think I'll go and smash a window. I was thinking like, yeah, the things that rile me are sort of the cosmic issues of life. And so I was pretty anti-Christianity and give Christians a bit of a hard time. But then eventually when I was at university, I, I became a Christian. I mean, the, there was a road to that decision. Yes. Yeah,
1: so how did that happen?
0: Ironically, and this is this is one of the things that sometimes surprised people, is horror movies did something to me. They started to make me think about some of the deepest issues of life because I was there, you know, thinking, oh, well, I don't want to be pinned down to a certain type of uh, worldview but then I'm watching films particularly The Exorcist The Exorcist was a particular film that was was a massive influence on me watching that film and that film is basically presenting for a start it's presenting like clergy as heroes i would never seen that in any other film because normally they're like weirdos or pedophiles or just yeah. people you'd never want to be so they're the heroes in that film but also we're saying that maybe there's such a thing as objective good and evil maybe this thing is life after death and so I found like horror uh, films were the one part of society that scared me but they also introduced these really deep subjects and and I was kind of scared enough by horror films to care about their big cosmic messages about God and the devil and those sorts of things whereas when I was at school and kind of trendy cool teenagers came in from the sort of the local youth club or something and they were saying hey follow Jesus and that's and that just turned me off I just didn't see the relevance in that so yeah so horror actually was a significant doorway into me becoming a Christian.
1: Okay, so you were interested because of the horror and all of that. How did that then lead to a decision to go sort of fully into God from being quite anti?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I went to I went to university and when I was at university, I, I, did, I met a girl in a nightclub who I really liked. And, you know, this is a classic story. Yeah. I've heard this so many times. <laughs> yeah. um, it's very cliche, but because it happens a lot. And um, I met this girl and I fancied her and I asked her out and she just wasn't interested in me. And she said it was because I wasn't a Christian, which I'd never, I'd never heard that before. And I, I'd never met anyone who took Christian. Christianity really that seriously to kind of affect their life choices. I just figured it was a thing you do on a Sunday. But anyway, eventually I decided, well, I'll go along to the Christian Union. Because I, I was intrigued by spiritual matters, because I mean horror films and things had, had had revealed to me that these these subjects mattered to me. But I dismissed Christians because I didn't think that was an, an effective source of these answers. But I fancied her, so I went along, and I, and I and I did cynically, partly think, well, who knows? Maybe if I express an interest, she might like me. But when I got there, I, I was just surprised to meet intelligent, normal, everyday people who actually believed in this stuff. And so, so the journey started. But it was—I I don't think I would have gotten to that place if it hadn't been for films and horror novels and things that had stoked my passion for mystery and uh, for this idea of what could be what else could be in this world.
1: And was there a kind of definitive moment or was it just a gradual process?
0: I suppose it was kind of gradual. I I read a book called Introducing Jesus at one point, which I found really helpful. But uh, there was a classic evening when I prayed the prayer. I mean, at the time, you know, I suppose I when I think about this, it it was I think conversion is a much more gradual process. And it doesn't just always happen on like this one moment. But I did have A moment in which I I prayed a prayer and and it did make a difference. But I think the process that God was working on me—he was—he was was there, present when I'm sitting in 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 the lounge with the lights off and the window open and the door back door open to be spooky enough to watch The Exorcist. He was there (laughs) in those moments, sowing the seeds of faith. Then, so for me, it was a long process. But that that night is the kind of hinge, I suppose. And yeah, and, and my life did change. But what didn't change, you see, and this was interesting, was my personality. It wasn't that suddenly, all of a sudden, I was like, oh yeah now i just want to watch like pg movies and now i'm now only interested in disney i was still a human being and i was still a human being i was disturbed by death and subjects like that and wanted to try and get my head around them but christians were telling me well this is something you shouldn't be interested in and so i tried to go cold turkey on horror films and macabre subjects and i found that quite challenging
1: so was that something you were quite scared about then that if you became a christian you would have to totally change your personality
0: yeah yeah it was and i think that's a lot what a lot of um would be christians would be would be scared of because sadly, when we present Christianity to people, we we're not conscious that we're presenting not just a like a, a worldview, but we're packaging it with like certain cultural expectations, which we almost bolt on to the gospel and say, "Well, you have to be liking these sorts of things. You shouldn't like music with minor chords. You shouldn't <laughs> be a sad person. You should run away from melancholy. You should always be happy." These sorts of things might appeal to some people, but like to a lot of human beings I happen to know, it's an unrealistic expectation and to be rushed through that sort of melancholy and that exploration of the darkness is is unrealistic to so many people so they just think well I I couldn't possibly do that and they they rule it out which is sad it's just really sad because I don't think that's what God is like.
1: And you were a youth worker how did you get into that?
0: I was in a band for a while Youth for Christ after university I joined one of these you know these itinerant bands traveling around the the country and we toured like Germany and and Ireland and places like that it was a lot of fun Um, and I was like singer in that it was was a little bit embarrassing but it was fun (laughs) at the time and while we were touring I found I, I realized You know, I I wanted to kind of get a job after that. I wasn't going to perpetually do this. And um, yeah, there was a a Baptist church in Chesham, in Buckinghamshire, who were looking for a youth worker. And so I applied for that. And and lo and behold, I I got the job and I was there for six years. And it was great six years. And I did sometimes find my interest in the sort of the morbid seeping in a little bit to how I used to do youth work. I remember one night, this was a bad idea, by the way, (laughs) but I remember one night we got all the youth group together and and I thought, oh, it'd be good to have like a murder mystery night, (laughs) but let's not tell them it's a murder. A Mystery oh my Night. Goodness. And so we just came in and we said, everybody stay in this room. One of the youth group has been murdered and we have to find out who did it. And we were playing all of this like sort of spooky, scary music over the PA. To me, I thought this is so obviously fake. And we took the kids into the church and there was a body there, with a knife in it and stuff. And it was, it looked so fake. But then I did see... One of the girls in the, in the group was was scared, and I apologized. And I, oh my word, that was a bit too far. And I had apologized to her parents. But most of the other most of the other guys loved it because I mean, teenagers and young people they they are simply drawn to the dark side. They it's such an established hook in in education. It almost goes without saying. I interviewed um, a headmistress recently who just said, like every now and again, you might meet. A pupil who doesn't get excited or interested when we talk about the plague, or we talk, or we bring in the skull of, a, of an animal, but on the whole, like 98 percent of the kids. They just love this stuff. They're drawn to it. So I kind of utilised some of it in my youth work. <laughs> some of it to bad effect, but some of it was great.
1: And then you became an ordained minister. Yeah. Did you sort of feel a call into ministry? How did that process work? That
0: was an interesting experience because I didn't want to become a minister at first, at least. I, I was worried about the idea of that, whether or not, again, I suppose that Stepford Wife thing, I was worried that that might sort of mould me into a certain type of person. But at the same time, I was thinking, I suppose I should be open to it. So I remember my wife and I in a kind of And fleece type, a sort of fleece moment said, well, God, I don't know if this is the right thing for us, but if you can independently send 50 people to us, I know, I thought set set the number high, right? (laughs) So let's send 50 people to us um, who will independently all say, Peter, I think you should be a minister of adults, you know? And my wife and I kept this little list and every day after work, you know, she'd come in and I'd be doing my youth work stuff and we'd say, who did you get on the list? And (laughs) and gradually that list did start going up. It was really quite remarkable. And what was interesting, though, is because it went up, it did hit 50, which was amazing but that wasn't really the catalyst it was the fact that we were very enthusiastically saying, wow, you got to 25. I'm at 30 now. I'm 32. And it was like blossoming a sense of, actually, this is something I do want. Yeah. So it was a bizarre way of doing it. And then I became a minister. Yeah. And
1: how did that process happen?
0: Well, I became a minister in training, uh, which is studied at a place called Spurgeon's Baptist College. And I'm, I'm not like a big hot sort of, I'm in the denominational type of mindset that I, I'm a Baptist and, I, and everything else is rubbish. I just happened to, when I applied to be a youth worker, it was a Baptist church. And, and so I went to a Baptist college and um, and studied for half the week I was working at this church in St Albans and through the other half I was like kind of learning how to bury people and marry people and all that sort of jazz.
1: What was your experience of sort of going through that theological training? I guess particularly with your background in, in horror and all of that. It was
0: it was interesting um because through that I, I wrote my dissertation, which was called Preaching in the Dark, and it was trying to explore whether or not there was any value in human culture of having morbid interests. And the assumption is just always like well of course it isn't you know why would anyone think that but i wasn't i wasn't satisfied with that knee-jerk reaction because to me i was reading the bible which is essentially a really quite explicit morbid text at the time, and then also looking across human culture and saying well look the literature that has, has survived over the years the, the the films people watch the video games they play they have this thread of kind of death and conflict to them does that mean that everyone's warped and freaky i don't think that's true i think it's actually a case that human beings are humans and they they're trying to get their heads around the dark subjects of life morbid culture offers that so I, I don't see horror films or crime fiction thrillers or anything like that as a sign of degeneracy I see it as a sign of like humanity and I occasionally meet people who they'll say well I'm a Christian I just want to think about nice stuff all the time and so I don't even watch the news and fair enough I mean if that's what they want to do that's just not the type of person I am and most other Christians I know are not those types of people and as I started to reassess this more Christians started coming out of the woodwork and saying it was almost you know like admitting a secret but you know what I like that sort of stuff too little old ladies in, like you know, read, <laughs> like I'm doing like Bible studies and like little old ladies are going, oh, that that bit in, in Judges where the guy gets the peg in, in his head, that's kind of the most exciting, <laughs> interesting bit. Did I think she was therefore like slavering at the mouth to go out and murder someone? Of course not. That's absurd. But there's something just fundamentally bizarre and interesting about these subjects, and I, I don't think we should feel bad about being interested in them.
1: Where did your interest in the macabre come from? You mentioned that you were interested in this sort yeah. of thing as as a young person, but was <clears> there <throat> particular thing that brought you there wasn't
0: it wasn't a catalyst I, it's, it's like when sometimes the author when Stephen King is, is interviewed some people say like what, where did this come from and, and sometimes the implication is like what went wrong and you're like, <laughs> like what, what bad what experience? murder did you see <laughs> yeah exactly yeah to warp you this way <laughs> and um nothing uh, I just grew up with a natural interest in in when I, I'd be sitting at school and maybe the teacher might talk about you know like oh we're gonna do football today or these sorts of things I'm, like, I'm not that interested and then some teacher would say oh have you heard? There's a haunted house in this town, and I, I just what? And I, and that doesn't shock me because that was suddenly turning my mundane world into an adventurous world of cosmic possibility. Oh my word, cracky, is there such a thing as life after death? Or the goat? Wow! So I'm. I think it's natural to be interested in that stuff. But as I grew up, I, I didn't have a like Christian influence in my life, and so it wasn't sort of categorised in that sort of way. But I found the only genre that took the supernatural seriously was was horror. You know, all these other genres, just general like Disney movies and things, which i fine, by the way. I mean I, I have a, I have a varied palette. I'll watch a rom-com <laughs> like anyone. But it was the horror stuff that really made me interested. So yes, I, I, I it was a gradual thing that just reflected my personality. And there's loads of people out there who have that. They call it the spooky gene. There's an author called Lynn Tatcher, and um, he talks about how some people have the spooky gene, and some people don't. And I find that some many of the Christians who struggle with this subject and think, why would you do that? They just simply don't have the, the spooky gene. They would think, why on earth would anyone want to play a video game in which zombies attack? you whereas there'll be other listeners thinking no i totally get why it's fun
1: and why do you think people are so intrigued by the spooky
0: i mean i think it's a natural part of being a human being i mean for a start i mean we are we are naturally drawn to and, an example would be you know if you're driving along in the motorway and you see a car crash uh, it, it's one of the most predictive human behaviors to slow down and look at that and many people when they do that they think crikey what's wrong with me am i some sort of freak or am i celebrating death You're not. That's not what's happening. Your brain is hungry for um, information, particularly information that might help you survive. From an evolutionary perspective, it makes sense for us to be sort of trying to work out, you know, how can we survive? Or if you don't believe in evolution, maybe it's a different way. And so when you're looking at these sorts of things, your brain is trying to work out, well, how can I protect myself and avoid the same sort of fate? And equally, when you see these sorts of things, I mean, it's not a very pleasant experience to see a crash on the motorway. The horror of it does shock you into instant wisdom. And suddenly you go, you know what? I'm not going to look at my phone when I'm driving. I am going to slow down. I'm not going to tailgate. And so it it has got sort of survival potential and it makes a lot of sense to be drawn to it. So that's one reason why people are drawn to these things. But also it's the simple curiosity of, well, if death exists, could there be life after death? And this is why so many people are fascinated by the paranormal. I remember when I was a a pastor and I'm sitting in a parent toddler's group or as a youth worker, and I'll be saying, hey, we've got alpha or youth alpha going on. And they're like, okay, fair enough. (laughs) And then somebody again might say, oh, did you know there's a haunted house up the road? Or did you see that spooky film? And suddenly people's eyes were alight. And now I have the choice to say, well, as a Christian, am I going to shut that down and say, how could you do that, Satan? And and, and, and let's talk about Cliff Richard instead. Or, nothing wrong with Cliff Richard, by the way. <laughs> I plucked him from the air. Or do you just dwell in those that mystery of it's so ironic to me that the church is one of the prime places who dismiss an interest in the supernatural when it's the most supernatural institution i can think of you know based on a kind of divine creator who we can't see visibly so it seems natural i think to explore and be interested in these sorts of topics
1: do you think you could use these areas as like a catalyst for evangelism
0: definitely like and the I, new found alpha that. course let's, <laughs> let's explore hey, the supernatural yeah well why not i mean there's there's loads of people who are just simply a paranormal tourism industry is exploding in Growth and I've lost count of the amount of you know places that are running ghost hunts and those sorts of things. Obviously, there might be some issues with you know whether or not people are kind of actively seeking the, the dead. I, I, when I was growing up, I did Ouija boards and all those sorts of things because I was just trying to find kind of evidence of the supernatural and those sorts of things. I'm not necessarily saying, yeah, let's do the Ouija board at a, at a kind of alpha course, <laughs> but it's it's a leap to suddenly just write this off. Sometimes I speak at like secular paranormal conferences. I, I was speaking last year on does God believe in ghosts and and whether or not ghosts can be a part of the Christian worldview, for example. And um, I, I was surprised at how many people I met there who had tried the Christian church and they had just assumed it wasn't for them anymore because their interest in these topics was just dismissed. And they were saying, well, you don't even talk about this stuff. Don't talk about psychic phenomena. Don't talk about UFOs. I, I write a column for a magazine called 14 Times. It does all of this like weird stuff, which people are quite interested in. But to lump all that in as demonic, to me, just seems counterintuitive. But by the way, my interest in this subject is not a clever way of evangelising to people. <laughs> you know, it's, and, I, and I do worry about that, that people think I'm kind of using the cloak of more morbid interest or I write spooky novels or whatever just as a way of like okay, rescuing people in. out of the darkness That that's just, I'm, I'm just expressing who I am and I'm delighted to have got the opportunity to do that and I'm not trying to change a person to say well read this Christian kind of horror book and then you don't have to read normal horror books I'm like no it's okay to do both
1: and you were interested in this sort of thing from a really young age do you yeah. think young people have even more of an interest in this sort of thing
0: well yeah there was an interesting survey where I think it was people aged between like 18 and 24 just last week were, were more likely to begin believe in miracles for example and, and miracles are pretty supernatural things. The belief in ghosts has gone up. Uh, in the last sort of few decades and so yeah people are interested in this sort of topic don't get me wrong there are like christian organizations who do engage with it but most christians i know will just dismiss it and say you shouldn't talk about that you know as if it's a kind of taboo subject and there's a big difference in talking about is there such a thing as poltergeists and putting on a goat's head mask and worshiping the devil like it's (laughs) two different things and by the way i i I have quite a lot of cynicism as well and i think a lot of the times you know people who think they're having a supernatural experience are just like you know having a, a hallucination or or they're misreading stuff but there's still the room for the possibility of something
1: and you mentioned that there was a headmistress who said that you know the majority of young people are interested in the plague and things like that have you got any theories about why young people in particular are interested in this sort of thing
0: i think people in general particularly children and young people uh, their brains crave novelty and anything that's kind of different and out of the ordinary gets their attention and um we live really quite relatively safe lives and this is applied to all ages i mean most of us i mean i I didn't have to like battle with the same. Toothed tiger getting on the train this morning. You know, even though there's a lot of crime and, and, and horrible things in the world, I don't I don't witness that stuff every day. And so it's natural that our brains would suddenly perk up when something really bizarre and unusual happens. On the very day I was interviewing this headmistress, it turned out there was a crowd of kids on the lawn. And the reason why they were on the lawn, they were gathered around this site that they found irresistible was a dead bird even we were driving in the car the other day we saw a dead badger and i said oh dead badger on the road my kids are like what where let me see <laughs> it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with them but it's just so novel and so out of the ordinary it's interesting to them to, to most of us and it's and, it, and that's why things like horrible histories for example it hooks people in because it leaves the gory bits left in and you'll see this when you go to um, national trust places or english heritage and you know people are kind of on their phones listen to the guide when he's talking about oh yes the queen did this and the queen did that and then all of a sudden they'll say oh and someone was brutally executed and then show me show me yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) really that's just human nature i think it would be like we all die we all suffer and this subject is 100 percent relevant to every single one of us to me i think it's absurd to think that human beings would not have some sort of curiosity about it but it's not just being interested in it by the way it's also trying to take control of our own fears and it's an interesting thing that happened after nine eleven where children who had lost family in the twin towers and they were viewed building Lego planes and Lego towers and they were repeatedly smashing these Lego Planes into the tower. To many of us, you know, and the parents and the teachers at the time, they were thinking, what's wrong with these kids? Mm-hmm. They're like, they're trivializing a horrible event. This should be stopped. They've been morbid. But the child psychologists came along and said, hang on a minute. Like, these guys need time to to work through their fears and to get them into orderly, uh, in, into some sort of orderly fashion, you know? And so they said, let these kids carry on. And that was their way of dealing with it. And yeah. some kids can't completely articulate the horrors and the fears that they have. And so sometimes a scary story story. story of spooky video game or violent video game even can can be an outlet for some of their not only aggression, but their fears, and that's what I do. Even as an adult, I, I write novels that might have really quite brutal horror and murder in it. That's not because I like like I'm sitting there go "Well, hey, another person's dead in real life." It's the absolute opposite. I find life scary. I find death disturbing, and it distresses me. And so, I need to take the furniture of that which frightens me, and I have to put it in a form which I'm in control of. I do that when I write a novel or when I watch a horror movie. And I think kids do that when they smash a plane into a tower.
1: So you're sort of processing it and taking power over it.
0: Yeah, because I mean, the world is chaotic. And, and there was another case where a, a little kid got bitten by a, a puma or something or some sort of panther in a pet shop. I don't know how they managed to have a panther <laughs> in a pet shop. They had some sort of big cat, right, in this his pet shop in, in, in America and it bit him in the head and it hurt him. And, and I think his dad was hurt as well, trying to save him. But the child psychologist, how he dealt with that was he allowed the kid to determine his own kind of treatment. And how did the kid do it? He wanted to get the toys and recreate what happened to him over and over again. Or he sometimes would pretend to be the panther and attack the the psychologist. Why? Was he a psychopath? No, because he wanted other people to know what it's like to be terrified in that sort of scenario. And sometimes he would be the victim again. And gradually, as he went through this stuff, he started to get control of his fears. The thought that we should remove fear from children and young people's lives. And many people are doing that. I think that's counterproductive.
1: What would you say to Christians that think that it's dangerous or even sort of anti-Christian to be meddling with some of these things that you're really interested in?
0: I could understand, perhaps, if they were thinking I was sort of saying, yes, go out and start contacting the dead and holding seances and all that sort of stuff. In your your youth groups. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, I can understand why they would would struggle with that. That's not really what I'm, I'm saying. I'm saying that these subjects are interesting, and I don't think it makes sense for us to make them taboo in the Christian world world and particularly because the bible itself is so clear in terms of its its own morbid content and it makes space to present horrible thing i mean the book of revelation the bit when the dragon's waiting to eat the baby it's just like <laughs> wow there's like 18 certificate stuff and so why i don't understand why we would think we're supposed to be all nicey-nicey all the time and i don't, don't, don't think that's how a lot of humans work so i would say to them i can appreciate and i can understand perhaps why you would struggle with it but i don't think the things are as terrible as as you you might think. We're supposed to, as Christians, be confident in the face of death. Where is your sting, you know? And sometimes I find that people who, Christians who quiver and hide in the face of these sorts of things or go through the Halloween aisle at at Sainsbury's and go, oh my goodness, we've got to pray against this. I feel like they're kind of raising and glorifying evil even more. We can have confidence to, well, I suppose, like laugh in the face of death. Even wearing a skeleton mask at Halloween, (laughs) you're literally laughing in the face of death.
1: How far would you push the the morbid and the macabre you mentioned that as a young person you would dabble in ouija boards presumably that's not something that as an ordained minister you would do now
0: no i don't and and, and i haven't done that sort of thing and i I mean i have friends who are kind of mediums and i have i mean i've I've interviewed and i have friends who are like wiccans or even high priests and priestesses of covens satan has got in touch with me the other day to chat i i I just see these people as human beings for a start and 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 i don't want to fall into the gap of isolating a particular kind of worldview over another so i i I know some people who would be, you know, oh, we're a church and we're quite happy to hang out, meet with the, the, the Muslim down the road or, you know, the, the Buddhist. But if there's a, like, a Wiccan in, in the town, they're the really evil ones. There's something different about them. But it's it's just another worldview, whether you agree with it or not, it's a separate thing. So, yeah, so I wouldn't say we should treat this, uh, like, you over the top about it, I should say. Personally, I mean, I, I don't, like, consult the dead and those sorts <laughs> of things. But I'm still interested in other people who have different approaches thing doesn't mean I'm like supporting them or cheering them on but I'm not gonna like write them off in the same way as I wouldn't go to like a Muslim and just like write her or him off completely. I want to. That's how my brain works. I learn from hearing all sides, and uh, I don- I'm just not into the shutting down of other people.
1: Some Christians would argue that potentially, you know, the high priest of a coven would be more dangerous than a Muslim.
0: I would struggle to know where the evidence of that was. I always used to think Satanism was oh, these guys like you know they actively worship the devil. They're trying to bring down the Christian. Church. I was surprised to find out that actually Satanism doesn't even believe in anything supernatural. Classic Satanism. It's basically like it's atheism, but they use the devil as a kind of symbol of liberation, particularly in response to Christianity. But if you, if, you, if you were to like look on the Church of Satan website and that sort of thing, they don't actually sit there and worship. They don't believe there is such a thing as God or the devil. They just use it as this like sort of this this symbol. And so all I would say was, you know, we need to kind of be aware of the risks of right people off completely based on these sorts of myths. And there are loads of myths. I mean, I remember being told, you know, I found some cassette uh, once outside of our church and there was a little bit of the the cassette tape, this was ages ago, uh, strewn out and someone said, oh, that'll be their local witches. I'm like, what, what do you mean? And they said, oh yeah, because they record curses. They wrap them around churches. And I was like, really? And I'd never heard this before. And then when I interviewed witches for an article I did for a Christianity magazine, they just like, really? I've never heard of that. Why would we do that? Even in witchcraft, they they don't necessarily believe in like God and the devil in the same way as we do. So I just advise caution and also a willingness to listen. And you can listen to someone with a completely different worldview than you. And again, have the conversation that God you know is in the midst of that but to run away and, and to hide from those people and to demonize them because of you know myths that you've heard I don't think that's that's fair
1: you have been listening to the profile with Ruth Jackson the profile is brought to you by premier christianity magazine and you can get a free copy by going to premierchristianitycom freesample slash free sample coming up soon the second half of the interview with reverend Peter Laws
0: premier christianity
2: magazine in this month's issue
1: you just tell the love of Jesus
2: He died to save us all. Bishop Michael Curry preached up a storm at the royal wedding, with his message being described as fiery, passionate, and raw God. But what was it like to be Bishop Curry on that day? How has he handled the fame that's followed? And what would Jesus make of our royal family? In the latest edition of Premier Christianity magazine, we ask him. Plus, discover how Christians all over the world celebrate the festive season in our brand new December issue.
0: For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample.
2: Good news! We've slashed the cost of subscribing to the UK's leading Christian magazine. Now you can read news from a Christian perspective and interviews with fascinating leaders for half the normal price. That's 12 issues of Premier Christianity magazine for less than £20. Plus, take out a subscription and we'll enter you into a prize draw to win £200 worth of new Christian books. There's never been a better time to subscribe. Go to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe.
0: The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio.
1: Where comes to life. You are listening to The Profile in association with Christianity magazine. You can get yourself a free copy of the mag by going to premierchristianity.com slash free sample. I'm Ruth Jackson and I have been speaking to Peter Laws. You mentioned curses there. If someone said that they had a curse put on them or something like that, A, do you think that's a real thing? And, and B, do you think there's power in that?
0: I don't know a lot about that sort of thing. And like I say, I am quite cynical. I'm really quite cynical about quite a lot of these claims, things like exorcism and, and, and possession and stuff like that. I think it's theoretically possible, but I think on the whole, it's it's mostly misdiagnosis of, of mental illness. And I think it's a very dangerous thing to be you know, slapping the term demon on everybody. And so similarly with curses, uh, I mean, this idea is an interesting idea but whether or not they have full power, I I, I don't know. I tend to think it's theoretically possible, but I'm not going to like run and hide and live my life scared of this sort of thing because God is bigger. You know, God has the power over these sorts of things. And I find when you start seeing the world as this satanic conspiracy, it feels like a more dangerous place, but it's not necessarily so. I remember when I was early 20s, it was when I was youth worker and we were sitting with all these other teenagers, right? On this all-nighter we were doing. And I can't remember why I said this, but I just said, oh, does anyone ever... When they're, you know, standing on a tall building, does it ever cross your mind to like, jump off it? One of the teenagers says, yeah, well, yeah, sometimes it just crosses my mind. Another person said, oh, well, another leader. I was like, well, you know, sometimes when I'm on the tube, it crosses my mind to, I could just step in front of the tube now. At the time, when I had that thought, I was sort of mixed up with some very kind of strong evangelicals at the time. And they had a worldview, which was saying Satan is at every turn. And I thought, oh my word, something like the demon of suicide is... Whispering in my ear, and it made the world like a scary place. But then, once everyone shared this sort of thing, you could respond to that by saying, Oh, the demon of suicide is very influential on every people. But then you just meet general people, you talk to psychologists, and it's just, it's actually not that uncommon for just people to be bored standing in a tube station and just random thoughts come to mind. Maybe they've seen a film where somebody got hit by a train and it just comes to mind. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's some big, terrible thing going on. So that's why I would say we can have confidence in our world world and not necessarily see everything as this the devil is pouncing on us I, I just i don't see that as a very healthy way of living and since chilling out about that subject i feel like the world is a more god-filled place and i'm not terrified of the potential of i'm, I'm wary i'm not an idiot i'm open to the idea of evil but evil is very clearly evident in our world through human trafficking to poverty i mean that stuff is obvious like you obviously see evil at work But what I struggle with is where Christians say, well, let's ignore that stuff. Let's look for the dark horror film evil. To me, that in itself could be a demonic
1: trick. Ignoring the real evil (laughs) in the world. Ignore the actual
0: real evil in the world. And 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 I'm shocked at how many Christians will be very hot on this subject and will spend so much creative energy, you know, going against Halloween. They couldn't care less that there's like a bunch of people homeless on the street or, you know, can't eat or there's abuse in there. It's just, where's, where's the devil really at work in our society?
1: Have you ever performed an exorcism?
0: No, not really. Although weirdly, the um I think it was the Daily Star I did a um piece for them on exorcism and uh, when they sent me the information about it they, the headline was picture me right and it said me the country's leading exorcist <laughs> I'm like, what and I was bringing the editor going I'm not even an exorcist so thankfully they, they changed that but no I haven't performed an actual exorcism because that's kind of I, I wasn't trained to do that and again I'm sort of cautious and I think it's a dangerous thing to do potentially but there's still the room for possibility but I have had experiences you know where people have said weird things are happening in their house or they're hearing strange voices or that sort of Things. And in those aspects I've certainly prayed with those people, but I've always gotten like the GP involved or people like professionals to come alongside as accountability for me, but also because you know they they might be suffering from some sort of mental illness, and that has happened. People have gotten pills to help them and, and it's and it's stopped. So I think it's very dangerous. Well exorcisms up by the way. Exorcisms are very popular at the moment.
1: Why is that, do you think?
0: There's lots of different reasons, but the church, particularly the Catholic church, are kinda struggling to keep up with demand. Some of the reasons are mixed with globalization you know, immigrant populations come into different countries and, and some certain streams from other parts of the world just will be more naturally see witchcraft or, or, or demonism as a as a kind of an explanation for the bad things in life. So, you know, oh man, I've lost my job today or I just had a bad diagnosis. I guess I've got, I've been cursed. And, but sadly, this sort of thing gets warped. And so we have cases where they'll say the reason why we're struggling financially is because our daughter has been cursed by a witch. And, and there's, there's cases of this where we get church involved and they pray against the demon that inside the daughter and this is even i mean it's led to homemade exorcisms has led to deaths victoria Columbia, and, and other cases like that so it's really really kind of dangerous but that's one of the reasons potentially another interesting reason is that some people actually find the prospect of being possessed by a demon slightly more attractive than having a mental illness label placed on them how would you feel you know if a doctor came to you and said you're schizophrenic a label which you might think oh crud is that with me for the rest of my life we know how much uh, stigma there is with mental illness but then if a religious person comes along and says that's not what it is you have a, like a temporary resident in you that is making you think this way and we have this ritual that will remove that from you and you can get on with normal life that ironically for some people is a slightly more attractive prospect it's like a dualism you, and I I, I kind of understand that you can separate yourself from the body, you know and if you do something awful while you're in one of the having one of your episodes you can say well it wasn't me it was this thing but it's not like that figure or that monster or demon is tra- trapped in you it can be let out and so you go for the exorcism it goes and then you you kind of feel free again Potentially, or it might come back.
1: You mentioned that people will get in touch with you if they've got sort of weird things happening in their yeah. house. Have you ever witnessed anything that you think, oh my goodness, I think that must have been a demonic power, a ghost? Not
0: massively, because like most times, I will sort of go to the nth degree to explain it away, just in a kind of the process. And occasionally, maybe there's something, a claim that that is. You think, oh, that's interesting. But no, I mean, I have. I mean, my my second novel is is about a poltergeist, and um, in that there was some sort of like weird animal-human hybrid creature thing, and that was based. On when, I, when I was teen, a teenager and me and my friends kind of hopped the fence of this like old disused asylum and we went and it was very I mean, exciting but we were like creeping around and sort of just in the thrill of it and we, we, saw, we saw something weird that night and um, I ran home and it was scary and I wrote it all down I think it's possible it could have just been a trick of the light quite probable but there was still that doorway open to say what happens if we did see something but it's interesting how like the thought of seeing like a ghost let's say many Christians will just instantly go oh that's demons then you know because ghosts can only be demons because we can only live what, you know we live once and we face the judgment and there's no chance and I understand why they would think that but I would again ask well where is the actual evidence where does it say in the Bible that every potential ghost is a demon because I means a ghost in the Bible. One um, 1 Samuel 28. A ghost turns up, he's very visible. Never says that this is a demon masquerading. So there are examples in the Bible of where God sometimes just maybe allows there to be a kind of connection between this world and the next world. I don't know what's going on there. When Jesus is hanging out with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, technically those guys are dead, especially Moses, because it talks <laughs> about Moses being buried by God. Elijah, you could argue, who knows if he was dead, because maybe he just went up into the heavens. But Moses definitely dead. And there he is, he's there standing in the chatting. Now, what is that? If not, we would call that a ghost or we might go, oh, no, that's like a person who's dead. That's somehow God is allowed to be in the presence of human beings. You know, what happens if God sometimes does that? The Catholics are more open to this, but particularly fundamentalist evangelicals just hit the kind of demon button.
1: So you would say that ghosts, they do potentially exist.
0: I think they potentially exist. I wouldn't be shocked if they don't. Um, so you wouldn't go
1: strongly either way?
0: No, definitely. I would lean more towards the cynicism. So most people, when they tell me the, their ghost stories, like I say, I go like, mm. yeah. <laughs> You know some people have said like oh my keys keep going missing i think i've got a poltergeist i'm like no it's clumsy you know you, just keep, you can't keep track of things but i am an open-minded person and this is one of the things that maybe people struggle with but i think we should always keep an open mind on everything keep an open mind on the potential of god you know like i believe in god i'm a christian i think it's intellectually reasonable to keep a door open and say hey it's possible this might all just be a joke this might all be not, not real but that's what faith is you know and i live my life with faith based on the evidence but for me the subject of ghosts even if they don't exist they are a brilliant cultural tool they talk about death which is real and we should contemplate that and they talk about the potential of an afterlife which is you know c.s lewis i mean he wrote in surprised by joy when his wife died that he felt her come back to contact her somehow and then a little while after that the bible translator jb phillips was also had an experience of seeing c.s lewis his presence um after lewis died I don't know what the heck's going on there, but even if it's not real, it's still fascinating and it makes people think of very fundamental theological ideas. I don't think that's a bad thing, particularly in a society which is pushing the thought of, you know, metaphysics and and the potential of something else away. What's wrong with stoking enchantment again in people? And you see this with all the audiences that go to horror movies and continue to read ghost stories.
1: And do you think if ghosts do exist, they're sort of largely neutral? Because I think probably most Christians would say that if ghosts or anything like that exist, they're probably bad, probably demonic. Whereas I guess, you know, the average person on the street would probably yeah. not have a particularly strong opinion about it. But if they do exist, they would largely be neutral. Maybe they've got unfinished business is what a lot of people say, don't they? What, what would yeah, be your take yeah, on that? that?
0: just a, that's a good way of putting it that, you know, most people I meet who aren't Christians would just assume potentially they could be benevolent, but it's a bit spooky. And then Christians are like, no, it's <laughs> the demons. Yeah. yeah, I really don't know what they could be. Although I would say, like I said before, I mean, most times it's just people getting it wrong or, or the hopefulness but the possibility of it being there. I don't think there's grounds to just walk in and say, 100%, every time there is a connection between the afterlife and now in the real world, that's clearly a demonic plot to get our attention of God. When that happens in the Bible, and I mean, there's even a bit in the Bible where the dead rise from their tombs, you know, and people can see them physically. God clearly can sometimes, occasionally, be a bit fast and loose with the barriers. So I leave it up to him. If the, And like I say, the Catholics are a bit more open to this, particularly because they believe in purgatory and the idea of, you know, people kind of hanging around whereas evangelicals are like, no, we die away, we go straight up the tube and we're, we're there and it leaves no room for that.
1: And do you talk about these sort of scary, macabre things with your children?
0: Yeah, um, I don't like terrify them, you know, but... <laughs> have a ghost story, children. <laughs> well, yeah, but sometimes kids do need scariness and I don't mean to a bad level, you know, I'm not like sitting my like, kids in front of like human centipede or something, uh, um, but like an example would be, you know, if I, if I sit with my son, who's seven, or when he was younger and I would tell him so he asked me once to sing him a scary song and I sung him a song uh, called um, Seagulls Stop It Now which is uh, a bad lip thing where Yoda is scared of seagulls and it's just not a fundamentally scary song but he finds Yoda scary <laughs> and so I did my best for Yoda impression sung him that song and he instantly said stop it, stop it that's too scary and I was like fine of course yeah cuddle and all that stuff next day he asks me for the song again now what sort of parent do you want to be? do you want to be the parent who says ah but that scared you the first time I shall protect you no we will never never do that song again. Don't worry. I'm not that type of parent. I'm the parent who sees my son, who asks me for it again. And I'll go, wow, that kid is identifying his fears, but he's also looking for arenas in which he can learn courage. And are you sure you want it again? Yes. And I'll sing it to him again. And I think that's what like classic fairy tales and other things do. They give children and young people an opportunity to learn courage and also have a more realistic view of the world. And I'm just, I just don't believe it's best for kids to say, let's get rid of all that stuff. And we can only ever read the the hungry caterpillar, you know, or the gruffalo, or things, which are great, by the way. I'm not saying have an exclusively morbid diet for kids. <laughs> That's weird. But to get rid of that stuff is just simply not preparing kids for the real world. So I think well, kids some need of the that.
1: Disney villains are pretty brutal.
0: Absolutely, and often in Disney, uh, and this is one of the interesting things about Disney. Parents die a lot in Disney films. Andy?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Destroy yeah. me. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but even in like sort of the modern ones, you know, you'll, you'll. I mean, it's a good catalyst for drama that, like, the protagonist, the woman and the man in it, is at the beginning. They they lose their family and then they they have to sort of be on their own. But that happens quite a lot, and I think that's good. You don't try to terrify your kids, but kids are not idiots. You know, they need they, they need to know they need to know what will happen if they stray from the path, and you so you've got to have wisdom. And so, some of these classic fairy tales, they have these grotesque sort of baddies in them, which are scary. Um, but it can teach a kid to say you know what maybe not everyone in the world is to be trusted to me that's just wisdom that, it's just being wise but when we hide all of the scary stuff from kids and young people we create a world in which everyone is to be trusted that's a, that's a dangerous world to unleash on kids so yeah I think it's um, it, they want it for a start like I said earlier and if we give it to them in a kind of reasonable way and we're alongside them and we sit and watch Jurassic World with them as a zombies, uh, zombies uh, <laughs> dinosaurs uh, be, I the think, next I think one zombie goats. dinosaurs yeah but we watch that and there's like carnage going on on screen them watching that and even if they're scared of that I mean if they don't they want it switched off of course you know you're not gonna I'm gonna force you to watch it be brave but a lot of them aren't like that you know or they've been made like that because they've been protected for so long
1: do you think we're better then to not protect them per se from some of these things obviously there's a line and you want to protect them from some things but actually just to equip them to be able to deal with some of these different things yeah
0: absolutely and to not allow any kind of um, unsavoury material or sort of dark stories to come into kids lives that is not equipping them. that's equipping them for a, for a certain world but when they'll find, when they grow older and they realize that not everything is like the gruffalo not everything is like these sorts of stories they read they'll be in for shock that's well and also fair.
1: i think sometimes if they've not experienced that and then they encounter something terrifying they then think oh well the christianity that i've grown up with actually that was fake and therefore i'm going to reject the whole lot yeah. rather than just rejecting the elements and reforming it <laughs> yeah that's a good point yeah have you ever encountered anything that's really terrified you or surprised you?
0: Yes. I suppose writing, just this, written this book called The Frightness, which is why we love monsters, ghosts, death and gore. And it's a nonfiction book. And in that book, I wrote a chapter on the industry called the murderabilia industry. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's, there's a kind of growing industry of people who will buy objects that are related to real life killers. And so oh. I was up in York. I had a, had a lock of Charles Manson's hair in my hand. Oh. Um, and you can buy strands of his hair for £40 each. He's died now, so the price has gone up slightly. Um, Writing that chapter I found a bit hard because you know it's one thing to you know watch a kind of horror movie in which the actors get up and they're okay and they get paid at the end it's quite another to kind of be looking at sort of crime scene photographs and sort of true crime things where the people die you know, real people died but in that chapter i did find that you know there, there are complex reasons why people would do this and, and again it's not that just they're freaks there are reasons for it but that sort of stuff kind of creeped me out and got me down a bit
1: what are some of the other strange things that you encounter because i guess given what you do and the novels that you've written you've encountered lots of different things yeah. like this before but is there anything where you thought i've never seen that before oh my goodness that's strange well i suppose
0: i mean one of the things in the book in one of the chapters is about um how we've learned to embrace the idea of monsters inside of us and so I, I chart from uh you know medieval times to victorian times how as a society we would we would hate the idea of us turning into an animal and we're scared of kind of darwinism and all those sorts of things um and in that chapter at the beginning of that chapter i go with a friend with a, with a historian friend up to hull to hunt for a werewolf because there was a werewolf sighted in hull a couple of years ago nine people said they saw these uh this sort of six foot beast who ate an alsatian and dragged it over a fence and i thought oh well, let's go hunt for it and so we went up there and um and we tied some string around a stake and dragged it up and down the waterways of hull to try and get this beast out i don't particularly believe in werewolves but the book was about why people believe in this stuff and in that chapter i attended a, a furry convention um in manchester i don't know if you know what furries are but furries are adults who like to dress up as dogs and wolves and animals and things like that and that was that's pretty wild it was, I mean, it was <laughs> great I had a lot of fun meeting these guys did you dress up I didn't know I I did take my um childhood teddy bear with me because I thought oh well if I have him sticking out as a little lion if I have him sticking out of the bag maybe I'll help me blend in um but <laughs> when I they're was, in full costume I was way underdressed yeah <laughs> but I actually funnily enough I was I mean I was at the bar chatting to somebody and they were saying you know, like they, they look normal as it were and then they would turn and go to the bar and I'd see like a t- tail hanging out of their great. jeans but that I mean that was a pretty interesting trip but I did that because I was trying to argue that there was a time when the idea of us having an animal inside of us or being like an animal was just terrifying. Nobody wanted that. But in the present day, there are there's a quite a significant subculture who sees that as a form of liberation. And, you know, some people in the church or wherever have an argument over, like, gender and those sorts of things. And these guys were like, wow, that, that's, like, so old school. Like, I'm a wolf! <laughs> and so I, I still have, like, a pastor's heart. And so when I look at people, and especially the people who were classed as freaks by everyone else, my heart just goes out to them. I just think, like, I want to understand you. I want to hang out with you. I want to know what it's like to be you. want to learn from you. And I suppose I've always felt like a bit of a freak myself. And so when I see other people like that, I'm I'm drawn to them. To me, I feel like that's a kind of fairly Jesus-like way to live. But I do realise it's controversial. And particularly if people don't have the spooky gene, they'll look at the stuff I do and think, wow, why would you do that? I do that because people are involved in this, human beings. And I like human beings. And I happen to like strange human beings. And I'm finding that most human beings are pretty strange in one way or another. (laughs)
1: Do you ever share your faith? The in these sorts of conventions I guess you must get quite a lot of questions when people realise that you are an ordained minister I do
0: actually Um, I mean I I get nervous about I don't want people to think again that I'm kind of you're there just to to do that yeah like a missionary or something because I'm just not you know I'm I'm there because I'm interested in these things but I am open I'm very open about my faith and people because I think because I go in there and I don't disrespect their interests they're kind of shocked by that Uh, and subsequently they want to know about my faith so I've had experiences where I've spoken at like paranormal conferences uh, and I remember But like for two nights running, um, I was up until four in the morning because delegates were just wanting to come and chat and find out more about why I believed what I believed. And that's I think that was just because I'd come in alongside them, you know, and I wasn't trying to convert them. But I'm willing to share my ideas as the same way as they share that with me. But I I tell you, if I'd gone to that place with, you know, placards or handing out tracts or something in the front and said, stop this, would that have been productive? No. So we mutually kind of learn from one another. So yeah, I I share my faith.
1: Do you and your wife sort of bring your children up in the faith? Do you share your faith with your children? Yeah. And how how do you do that? I
0: certainly do share my faith with my my kids. But again, I, I do present faith to my children as an option. And it's an option that I have taken and my wife has taken. But I do say to them I'm not going to brainwash you into this you know here here's the evidence this is what I think this is we're into this but you have the option of not being into this that just feels to me like a, a noble way of doing it but I, I've, I mean I guess I've got some friends who would maybe feel that's a bit dangerous and that you should be saying no this there is no other option this is what it is but you know they see in my lifestyle they see I am an open Christian you know I'm quite sort of willing to be that but I get twitchy about the idea of kind of brainwashing people it's like that was the precise thing that put me off Christianity in the first place and I think the loads of people out there who don't get into Christianity because they think they're going to be made into a certain type of person and when you give them the option of just being themselves, it's amazing how suddenly they start to see through all the fog and think maybe Jesus is in there after all.
1: And if they're seeing an authentic portrayal of faith through their mum and dad, yeah. that's surely a real pull to, to want to be interested in, in what you're interested in. Isn't
0: Abs- it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, don't get me wrong, we take them to church, we pray with them and those sorts of things and you know, we talk about the Bible and that sort of stuff, but it's not in a kind of Uh, Get on your knees. This is your daily office type stuff, and I can happily, you know, talk to them. And if one of them ever says, you know, I don't believe in God, I'm not going to be like, right to the prayer closet with you. Like, okay, why is that? Why'd you come to that conclusion? Okay, Uh, and it's it's a journey, you know. We're all on this like journey, and 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 there'll be people listening to this who have doubts about their faith sometimes in and out. I don't think that's a sign to kind of hit the alarm bells. That's just being a human being.
1: And we hear just terrifying statistics of young people leaving the church or sort of not even being in the church to start with. Yeah, you were a youth worker for a long time. How would you? say that we can best reach some of those young people that are never really going to set foot in the churches.
0: I suppose it's, the model is sometimes like a kind of, comes to mind like the new world slavery model which is, like, let's, let's get in the boats, let's get over there, round them all up, put them on the ship and take them back to our place and then they'll be there. Like that model is, it's a very harsh model but just <laughs> came to mind, is one way of doing it. But the other way is the sort of like the Missio day type of view of like, God is at work in the world. And just because they're not in the youth groups doesn't mean that God isn't at work with people. And I don't like the 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 church attitude which is basically like here we are and we're protected and out there are the baddies i don't think that's a very healthy way of looking at the world people are made in the image of god and i don't think it's conducive to, to witnessing and those sorts of things by all means we invite people in and sometimes one of the things that attract people funnily enough is the supernatural and so if there's churches that will suddenly start saying you won't believe this we prayed for this and this happened we prayed for that person to be healed that happened that actually can make young people go really that's pretty wild and i'll be involved with that so that's that's a possibility of kind of accentuating or being more expectant of the supernatural but if they don't come into the youth group it doesn't mean we're failing and belief is a complex thing you know and I don't think we should assume that God isn't at work in other ways but forcing kids and teenagers into being a certain type of person and again saying you shouldn't be playing a violent video game for a start you have to stop that to come to our youth group you can't wear a t-shirt that has like Marilyn Manson on it I think that just puts off loads of different people and also another thing that puts people off teenagers, particularly teenage girls, is um is just how masculine Christianity is. And again, interestingly, some of the Wiccans that I've interviewed, they've said, well, well I tried out Christianity, but you guys are obsessed with maleness. And and I was like, where is the femininity in, in your religion? It's not there. Uh, and also, where's the ecological interest and support? It's not there. So Wicca is a, is a belief system that is much more embracing the feminine and the idea of the ecology. So it's taken things seriously, that teenager went into.
1: You? you weren't a Christian growing up as a teenager. If you could go back to your teen self knowing everything that you've kind of learned along oh, the way back to the
0: future yeah. is there
1: one bit of advice that you would give your teenage self
0: certainly having a life without god's framework got me into some difficulty (laughs) which maybe not a great idea but not none none of those kind of difficulties had like long-lasting repercussions as it were Um, and so there's nothing like i would have to go back in a kind of back to the future type way and say do this differently but general advice i suppose would be don't write off christianity and that's and that is what i did and um and and the same principle as this is why i don't write off everybody else because that i thought that was a that was a mistake um because i was basing my rejection of christianity on on pure stereotype i didn't no christians the only ones i knew were like at the time harold bishop on neighbors he wasn't exactly like a sort of role model that i wanted to be when i was <laughs> older and so i wrote a christianity based on stereotype and that's what i'd say don't do and that's actually what i would say to christians when they write off people who like this sort of thing i'm talking about or even if they're from other worldviews that seem so scary hang on a minute like let's just find out a bit more about what they're actually like and you might be surprised and that's what i found with christianity and it was the best move i ever made
1: What has been, this might be really hard to pinpoint, what's been the best day of your ministry so far?
0: I think actually it was the calling. It was, um, I I was on a kind of Youth for Christ training thing, which is before I was going to go and be this singer and uh, I remember that night I just had that sense of calling of God saying I want you to give your life to doing stuff that doesn't fit into the norm but to serve me in some way and I remember when it happened it was nighttime, and I was outside and the moon was fat and the clouds were rolling across and it was it looked kind of spooky but it was magical and it was that to me it was like that fusion of darkness and light to say you know be yourself and you can make a difference perhaps.
1: That's really interesting that you hone in there on the darkness and light because i think that's what the cross does fuses darkness and light together
0: absolutely and that i think is the essence of the argument real life is not pure brightness and real life is also not pure darkness either pure darkness is boring i've had that experience when i've been down in a cave because pure darkness makes no sense without the light and bright light makes no sense without the darkness i mean look at this place now i mean the way there's sort of the shadows and the 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 colors interplay it's a connection of darkness and light that is humanity and that's i think what, what god is darkness remember was not a result of the Fall. God created light and darkness. And the interplay of those things, I think, is where humanity sits because we're made in the image of God. I think what I'm doing is trying to combine light and darkness. I'm not promoting full dark. I'm not promoting full light. I'm promoting reality, just dark and light.
1: Reverend Peter Laws, thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to The Profile with me, Ruth Jackson. And The Profile is brought to you by Premier Christianity magazine. You can get yourself a free copy of that by going to premierchristianity.com slash freesample. And we'll be back at the same time next week for another great interview.